Deb Hutton is here, former senior advisor to two Ontario premiers, and she's here to provide insight into the day's big stories. Nice to have you. Thanks, John. Okay, so the latest casualty in the Greenbelt business, I guess we could say, is an aid to the Premier, and this is all over that ridiculous Vegas misadventure. Yeah, this one's a, a little bit different because uh, Mr. Masudi had already left the Premier's office, had resigned some time ago, unrelated to any of the shenanigans we've all been talking about. He continued on in uh, in publicly acknowledged uh, contracts, so nothing nefarious there whatsoever. And it sounds as though the Premier's office has decided that those contracts won't continue going forward. So a little bit different than a firing, but again, all related to incredibly bad judgment that I couldn't begin to defend. And do you think that the, you know, the bloodletting can be staunched here? Is this coming to an end? Uh, I think anybody would be foolish to say, yes, this has come to an end. I mean, I information is what we need in this whole thing. It's what the Premier's office needs, quite frankly, to have out there. If there are other relationships that on the surface appear inappropriate, then the public needs to know, again, not only for our information, but for the Premier and for his credibility and for his ability to continue on and lead uh, with, with trust with the public. What do you make of this Toronto police superintendent who is uh, accused of having help people she was meant to cheat on their exams while they were applying for promotions. Uh, she's going to be punished. She could be fired. And you know what? I looked it up this morning before the show, and the average annual income of a superintendent is $107,000. So here's a woman who gets this great job. She's on the sunshine list. I get that she wants to help people, but why would you risk everything and do something so stupid? So my issue isn't sort of figuring out what's in her psyche. My issue is that we don't seem to have strong enough legislation around the Police Services Act, in my view. I mean, this woman was suspended for one month, with pay, by the way, so basically a holiday, is in active duty. There does not appear to be any criminal charges related to this. I mean, I don't know how this isn't some form of, I'm no lawyer, John, but, you know, breach of trust. There has to be a breach of trust or some sort of, of, of criminal charge that could be laid. But as it relates to the Police Services Act, I mean, these are people that are in a position of incredible authority, incredible responsibility in our society. And we have to hold them to a higher standard. And this, to me, seems to be a standard for which a police officer should not continue in their job, period. What do you make of this feature? It's from Bloomberg, and I find this to be a fascinating dilemma. People who live on the islands, as a lot of people know, there are only two prices you could have for a house on the islands, and they're extraordinarily low. They're not competitive with Toronto real estate. So they won the lottery or they inherited the house from somebody. Now they're aging. They want to move to a more senior-friendly place, but if they sell their house, they get barely enough to get by on. Uh, I mean, I'll say up front, Deb, I'm not terribly sympathetic. You knew what you were getting into, and the islands are a very, very special setup, and that's just the economic architecture of it. Well, you started by saying, John, it's a bit of a dilemma. There's no dilemma for me. I'm on the second part of what you said. <laughs> like, give me a break. So I got a special place to live for a ridiculously little amount of money for whatever the lease was, what, 99 years or something? I mean, unbelievably, I hated it at the time when it happened. 
And now I'm supposed to feel bad because you're aging and you can't get to your doctor easily. Give me a break. I have zero sympathy for this. We all make choices in our life and we all live with the consequences of it. I think these leases should end. I think it should be market value. And I am done with the, quote, special island residence. I never started to be with them, quite frankly, but this is ridiculous. Let's move to Saskatchewan. A very eventful day yesterday. Our friend Adam Goldenberg, who has been a pundit here from time to time, was arguing for an injunction in the courts. And let me set the table here because, like I said, it was an eventful day. And also, Deb, it was complicated legally. But in Saskatchewan, they want to have this policy where if a kid wants to change their gender uh, pronouns or their name, then the school will inform the parents. Adam is launching a case, has launched a case to fight against that and say it's against the charter. In the meantime, what he wanted was for the schools not to do that until the outcome of this case. He won that yesterday in court, and then the premier turned around and said, now, well, that's it, I'm invoking the notwithstanding clause. Yeah, so here are my thoughts. I, I have, I've been very clear on my personal position on this, which is um, that as a parent, uh, I should be told. This isn't about parental rights per se. I just, I should be told when something that I believe is life-changing for a child happens, period, full stop. And I believe there are enough safeguards in our system as there are with physical abuse and major emotional abuse where where teachers and administrators can can work through and understand if there is truly potential harm for the child at home. So I do not believe with the, in the TDSB policy or in, in the, uh, the court case that parents should not be told if the kid says, don't tell my parent under the age of 16, period. It is non-negotiable for me. Put the safeguards in, but let parents know what's happening. So that's number one for me. Number two, I do believe there's judicial overreach, and that is why we are seeing more premiers throughout the country invoke the notwithstanding clause. However, on this one, because it is complicated, because it's an emotional issue, can we not find a way to, to put in place a policy in different provinces that understand both sides of this without injunctions and, and going to ultimately the Supreme Court and using the notwithstanding clause? Like, surely we can be adults about this. Here's a thought experiment. Maybe you saw it on the weekend. I put it on Twitter, but I said, how would people feel if a girl who wears a hijab shows up at school and every day takes the hijab off and puts it in her knapsack and then at the end of the day puts it back on, should the teacher call the parents? I think the teacher, this is behavior that is... Uh, clearly not something that a teacher would understand would be acceptable at home. I think a conversation with the child, again, putting in the safeguards around uh, what what is truly abuse at home, what is truly an unsafe environment at home, having those conversations, respecting that. But that is, I, I think, something you should you should be told. If my kid's not eating their lunch every day, John, I want to know if, if a teacher sees that child throwing their lunch in the garbage, there could be an actual issue. I'd want to know that. Have a conversation with the kid, figure out what's going on. Like these, we entrust our children to the school system for a significant part of their lives for many years. And there has to be a dialogue. And when there's a change in behavior, when something's happening for me as a parent up to the age of 16, 
I'd like to be informed because I don't know for those seven hours a day what's happening. Deb, thanks a lot. Good to have you this morning. My pleasure, John. Have a great weekend. The Morning Brief with Deb Hutton.